We now come into a time of reading God's word. We are reading Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. That's on page 1183 in your church Bibles. Once again, Colossians 2, verses 6 through 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is God's word. Thanks, Anna-Marie. Very good morning to you. My name is Sam Stevenson. If we've not met, I'm the the student minister um, here at Christchurch Mayfair. And it's an absolute joy to be be picking up the next part in this series uh, we've been going through in Colossians um, that Neil has been leading us through. It's been wonderful, hasn't it, to, to be reminded that Christ is supreme, that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, that he is the firstborn over all creation, and, and therefore Christ is sufficient that he is all we need for life. We've sung about that already. Um, let our boast be in him. We're going to be thinking more about that as uh, we have this passage ahead of us this morning. So why don't I pray for our time together as we dwell in this passage. Let's pray. We thank you, living God, that you speak to us. You speak to us through these words and that these words are our living words. Father, you've put Colossians 2 ahead of us this morning, that we might dwell in it and think about it and that it might shape our lives. But Lord, we need your help. So we pray, Father, for a work of your spirit, opening our hearts now, giving us supernatural concentration and supernatural willingness to respond to what you have caused to be written in this passage. And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. What would your life look like if you were genuinely convinced that the very best that life had to offer was already yours? That that the ultimate 
goal of life was already completed. You've won top prize. How would your life look different? Would you, would you feel different as you went about your day? Would you have a different mindset as you sort of left home and walked to the station as you head into work? Would you, would you do things differently? Would you make different choices? God wants to convince us this morning from his words that if you're here and you're a Christian trusting Jesus Christ, that is you. That is you. Look down at verse 10 that we just had read to us. In Christ, you have been brought to fullness. That idea of fullness is such a rich idea. Imagine... Imagine, for a sec, being, um, being born into a family that, um, that lives in a cave. Okay, so you were, you were raised in the darkness. You were um, surviving off, off bats and rats, terrified of the occasional bear. Um, the most light you've ever known is, is the sort of damp glow from an occasional small fire. That's your world. That's your world. But then one day, one day you're exploring a bit of the cave you've never been to before, and, and you see something you've never seen before. A little pinprick, it, it looks like fire, but slightly brighter. And you follow it, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, and it gets bigger, until eventually you emerge from the cave into the brilliant sunshine of a summer's day. You were alive before. But this is the beginning of life with a capital L. You've been brought to fullness and now you live. Now it's, a, it's a trivial illustration, but it, it's a, this is just a small picture of how life is for us as Christians. Colossians 1.13 told us he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We sung about it earlier. I was once lost in darkness night, darkest night and thought I knew the way. We were once in the dominion of darkness, but praise God. Oh, Jesus Christ has rescued us from that dominion and brought us into a new kingdom, into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of the son he loves. Now, we're not yet home. We're not yet in heaven. There's life to live. Sometimes there's pain to endure. There's work to do. But fundamentally, we are complete because we are in Christ. We have been brought to fullness. And the question that I want us to think about is, what does that look like? What does that feel like? To live in that completeness. That's what we're going to start thinking about today here in chapter 2. The second half of Colossians, chapter 3 onwards, will really flesh that out more for us. But we're going to start thinking about it this week. And I don't know about you, but so often I think the thing that drives us, the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning, that gets us going, is a sense of, a sense of lack. I don't yet have, whatever it is, financial stability, 
um, family security, a, a fulfilling career, the recognition I crave, the position I'd love to get to, the space I need to live in. We, we're so often driven by a sense of lack. And in one sense, a sense of lack is, is a normal, natural experience for the human, for the Christian, this side of heaven. But, but so often we sort of subtly think, I should have heaven on earth. And it's that sense of lack that, that drives us. But God, I think, in this passage is inviting us today not to live out of a sense of lack, what we don't yet have, but to live out of that sense of fullness, that sense of completeness. What difference would that make to be driven not by what we lack, but by what we have? As I pondered this over the last couple of weeks, I found this to be a rich subject to mull on as I've been sort of cycling in and out of work, as I've been going about my day. And my prayer for us this morning is that this would be a, a rich and, and transforming subject for us to begin considering this week and on into the next couple of weeks as we consider all that we have in Christ and we live out of that fullness. Now the passage ahead of us, there's a central command in verse 6. Live your lives in him. Continue to live your lives in him. So we're going, to, we're going to really spend most of our time there in those verses. In verse 8, we have the flip side, and verses 9 to 15, we, we have the reasons that, that follow. Um, you haven't got points on your sheet, but they should pop up on the screen as we go. Live full in Christ, ignore empty ideas, because you really are full in Christ. That's where we're going to head. That's the basic shape. That's how we'll work through it. Don't be freaked out when we spend most of our time in point one. Um, we, will, we will get to the last bits. Um, but, um, but that's where we're heading. So first, first big idea then, live, live full in Christ. That's the first thing, live full in Christ. For a lot of people, religion, I think, is just a, it's basically a sort of tick box exercise. So some recent research, um, I think they're just under 50%, maybe 48%, 46%, depending which survey you go with, people in, in the UK would tick the box on the census that says Christian, just under half, um, but only 10% attend church at least once a month, and of that 10%, only 6% attend church at least once a month and also pray and read the Bible once a week. That's the definition of a, of a, of a, of a practicing Christian. Um, and the same would be true across different religions. There's a, there's a difference between what you say you believe, the box you tick, and the way you actually live your life. Often the way that you live your life has almost nothing to do with, with, what, with what you say you believe, with, with the sort of box you tick on the, on the survey. But here in Colossians 2, we hear the call for our life and our profession to join up, to match up. Look down at, at, at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him. You have received Christ Jesus as Lord. That, that's what you say you believe. And, and he is utterly glorious. He, he is the pearl of great price. He, he is where true life is found. So live your life in him. The word for live here literally, literally walk about in him. Go about your day. Go about your week. In him. This is not just, um, not just Sunday Christianity 
where we sort of smile nicely on a Sunday and, and, and then sort of leave our Christianity at the door um, and walk out. No, this is, this is whole life, whole life discipleship. Every moment of your day, every day of your week, given, given significance, given dignity, because that is a moment lived in Christ. Now, what does that look like? <laughs> what does that mean? I, um, I love people watching. London's the perfect place for people watching. There's people everywhere. Um, as I get on a tube, as I cycle around, I, I love sort of spotting someone and thinking, where, like, where, are they, where have they come from? Where are they heading? What is their life like? What's brought them to this part of London? Um, it, people are fascinating. But, but, but what would it mean as we sort of look out at a, at a, at a sea full of people what would it look like for somebody who is living their life in Christ? What would it look like to walk about in Christ? What does it look like to do the washing up in Christ? What does it look like to do the school run in Christ? What does it look like to, to lead a team meeting at work in Christ? What does that actually look like? <laughs> what does that actually mean? That's the call. Live your life in him. But, but what, does that, what does that look like? Well, I think we see in Colossians, it's at least two things. To live in Christ means we're surrendered to him and we're satisfied in him. To live in Christ is is to be surrendered to him and to be satisfied in him. So firstly, we're, we're surrendered to him. When we became a Christian, we received Christ Jesus as Lord Now, we also received him as as other things. We received him as our saviour. We received him as our good shepherd. We sung about that earlier. Jesus, our shepherd. He's our closest friend. But we did receive him as Lord. (laughs) Whenever someone gets baptised at CCM, they're they're asked the question, um, do you submit to Christ as Lord? And they answer, I submit to Christ. And part of living our life in Christ must be that Jesus, our Lord, has the final say over how we live our life. We're surrendered to him. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so live your life in him. So when we're weighing up a decision like, I don't know, like, shall we move house? You know, where should we, where should we live? The thing that matters most to someone in Christ is not... What do I think? You know, ultimately, if we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he is there over every decision. The thing that matters most is what does he think? Are there, are there commands from him I need to bear in mind? Is there biblical wisdom I need to consider? What, what wisdom um, is there from, um, from those Jesus has put alongside me in his church? I know of a man who, um, who used to periodically give a friend access to his bank account and, and, and ask him to look through his bank statements and, and, and ask whether his, his finances reflected the lordship of Jesus. Now, you don't have to do that. But there is a man who wants Jesus to reign in his life, right? You can't. There is a man who's, very, who's committed to, to Jesus being lord of his life. Just as you received Christ Jesus as lord... Continue to live your lives in him. We're surrendered to him. 
And we're also satisfied in him. Living in Christ is not just a life of sort of, it's, a, it's not just a cold, hard slog of joyless surrender. I will submit to Christ because I've said I will and I don't like him, but I'll do it. No, we surrender to him, but we're also satisfied in him. The one who has qualified us for heaven, chapter 1, verse 12. The one in whom all creation holds together, chapter 1, verse 17. The one who is the prototype of new creation life, chapter 1, verse 18. The one in whom all the fullness of God dwells, in chapter 1, verse 19. The one who has reconciled us to God, chapter 1, 22. The one who lives in us, the hope of glory, chapter 1, 27. The one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Chapter 2, verse 3. We're satisfied in him, like, like, a, like a well in a desert. I've not yet plumbed the depths of the well. I know there's more there for me. But when I'm thirsty, I know where to go. And to have this well is enough for me. To live in Christ is to be surrendered to him, but is to be satisfied in him. To consider all the riches that we have in him and say, yes, he is enough. And I'm struck here by just how ordinary this is. Just how like every day this is to... To be surrendered to Christ and satisfied in Christ doesn't mean that we, that we need to go and plant churches in Saudi Arabia. That we have mission partners who, you know, who are working in those parts of the world. Um, but this is much more every day. We, we go about our day-to-day life. Live your life. Walk about in him. Commuting, working, socializing in him. And it looks like there are just three little, three little phrases in verse 7. We're rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. There's a, there's a stability to someone in Christ. They're, they're rooted in him. Their life is, is grounded in a particular place. They're, they're dug down deep, rooted. But not in a static way, rooted and, and built up. Like a plant, they're, they're growing up, they're, they're bearing fruit. So there's a sort of dynamic stability. There's a stability, but there's a dynamism also to someone in Christ. Have you, have you seen that in Christians that you know? There's a stability to their life, but also that dynamism, a steady growth in Christian character. That's, that's life in Christ. It's the ordinary Christian life. That second little phrase, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. There's, like a, there's a settledness, a settledness to someone in Christ. They're, this isn't just someone else's faith. This is their faith. They, they own it for themselves. There's a settledness. They know what they think about God and about the world and about life. And, and they're not for moving. <laughs> Do you see that in brothers and sisters at church? You get a sense with them, this is real for you. You really do believe this. This really does make a difference to your life. There's a, there's a settledness to their faith. That, that's life in Christ. That's what, it, that's what it looks like. 
And also there's a, there's a thankfulness, overflowing with thankfulness. There's a thankfulness to someone in Christ. Not, not always, not at every moment, not in a sort of fake, cheesy kind of way. Um, but in general, as a general pattern, someone in Christ, I think, defaults to thankfulness rather than complaining and grumbling. We know deep down, even in, even in the pit of despair, that we have something in Christ that, that outweighs what we lack now in the moment. And, and there are always reasons to be thankful because of what we have in him. There's a thankfulness to someone in Christ. Have you seen that as you've spent time with Christian friends? There's an underlying sense that they default to thankfulness. They, they don't want to wallow in a place of grumbling. They're looking for reasons to be thankful. That's life in Christ. That's what it looks like. But do you see that life in Christ is so much more than just tick box religion? Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. We live full in Christ. And look, maybe it's been, maybe you're here, maybe it's been a good few years since you first received Christ. Maybe, maybe you hear that language, surrendered to Christ and satisfied in Christ, and you think, yeah, I, 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 I certainly was. I'm sort of signed up for that in principle. Am I still? And if that's you here this morning, I think that's me, if I'm honest, to a certain extent. The good news is Jesus hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He's still as wonderful as the day you first received him with joy and with surrender and with satisfaction. He's still as wonderful. He's not changed one jot. All of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are still found in him. And in him you've still been brought to fullness. (laughs) And so if... If that is you, then then hear this encouragement from God's word today. Continue. Continue to live your lives in him. Continue. Don't move on from him. Stay with him. and Keep enjoying the riches of life in him. Where else are you going to go? What more could you get out of life than you already have in him? So live full in Christ. Okay, that's... That's the long point. Live full in Christ. But that's really the meat of the section, I think. That's the thrust of where Paul wants to take us this morning. Live full in Christ. But in verse 8, we have the, um, the negative flip side. Ignore empty ideas. Ignore empty ideas. Now, what's an empty idea? Well, we'll think a bit more about this next week. Um, but the basic point is, if, if, in, if fullness is found in Christ... An empty idea is an idea that will lead you away from Christ. Okay? Um, fullness is there. This idea is leading you into, into emptiness. And God wants us to hear, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, or, or ESV, through philosophy and empty deceit, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, I don't think he's rubbishing philosophy as a discipline. I don't think he's sort of hating on the intellectual life. He's not sort of hanging Socrates and Kant and Sartre out to dry. I don't think that's what this is. 
I think it can be a really helpful thing to keep tabs on the ideas that are shaping society um, so that, we, that those people that we know are, are kind of hearing and engaging with. And, um, but he is saying, I think, there are some ideas out there that you need to be careful of. Not all that glitters is gold when it comes to ideas. And we need to watch out. Now at the time, at the time it was, it was these people coming along claiming to offer sort of upgrade Christianity. Christianity 2.0, if you like. Some, some extra spiritual experiences, extra spiritual practices, extra knowledge. Jesus Christ is great, but let me show you where extra fullness is found. And even today, even today, there, there are plenty of ideas out there that leave us thinking, oh, okay, maybe, maybe my little life in Christ, maybe, maybe, maybe it's not all that, actually. We'll encounter some more next week, but, but this is like a little trailer here. Um, let me just suggest, um, suggest one, and I say this just to get us thinking rather than to come down like a ton of bricks. Um, I wonder whether a sort of, a sort of Christian materialism is one of these empty ideas that's kind of just out there. Uh, it, it, it's subtle, this, right? But I wonder whether we can be tempted to think, um, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I want to be part of a church. Yes, but fullness of life? Now, now Jesus is good, don't get me wrong. I, I want him, but I, I'd also be getting more out of life if I, if I had... If I had the big house, if I had the fancy holiday, if I had the, the top school. Now, don't mishear me, right? These things, they're not bad things. But so often, it can come from a heart that says, life will be full if I have that. Rather than a heart that says, life is full because I have Christ. And really, really it comes from a desire to imitate the lifestyle of those around us. It's, it's human tradition, to use the language of the passage. It's just what everybody else does. And so we just get swept along. And we need to be careful, or, or it's going to lead us away from being, from being surrendered to Christ and, and satisfied in Christ. Christian materialism, it's, it, it's an empty idea. And we'll think a bit more about empty ideas next week. But as we live our lives in Christ enjoying the fullness that we have in him, living out of that fullness. God is calling us to ignore empty ideas. The only thing that will lead us away from Christ is if we're led to believe there's more out there that we could be having in addition to Christ, don't buy it. Don't buy it. You have fullness in him. You have fullness. And that's where we go with this last bit of the passage. Don't so Paul's thrust, live, live full in Christ. Don't buy empty ideas because you really are full in Christ. And this is where Paul opens up the treasure chest and starts unpacking the riches of being a Christian. Let me show you how good it is to be in Christ. Let me show you what you have. Why would you ever go anywhere else? It can be so easy, can't it, to sort of look over the fence and wonder, am I... Am I, am, I missing out on, am I missing out on life in all of its full? Maybe that's what they're enjoying over there. 
I was chatting with a guy the other day, and he was saying pretty much that. He was saying, look, if I'm honest, I, I find it hard to believe that the Christian life is the best life out there. I sort of think well, maybe there's people having more fun somewhere else. It's so easy to look over the fence. But let me just point out three things here from, from Paul's treasure chest. Treasure chest of riches in Christ. The first thing, you, you have complete access to God. Verse 9, in Christ... All the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Life is about knowing the God who made you. And if you are in Christ, you have that. You have that. You have met the living God. Do you know that? All that God is, is in Jesus, and you are in Jesus. You have that privilege. What else do you want? You know the living God. This is brilliant from C.S. Lewis. You've probably seen this quote before, but I keep coming back to this quote. He says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Imagine emerging into the light beyond the cave and wanting to go back into the cave. Don't do that. Look at the fullness that we have in Christ. We know the living God, but there's more. There's more. You also have, um, you have complete access to God, and your identity is completely secure. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, what's going on here? Um, we know traditionally, uh, sorry, we know that um, there were some believers going around at the time that this was written from a, from a traditional Jewish background um, saying something like this, probably. Listen, it's great. You've received Christ Jesus as Lord, just like we have. Fantastic. Now, listen. We've been doing this a while, following the one God, and, and, and what you need to be a proper follower of him is to be circumcised. We've, we've known this for a long time. It's always been the way since Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want to belong to this community, you need to be circumcised. Now, it's, it, it's another empty idea. It's not an idea we hear a lot these days, but it was going around at the time. And Paul wants these Christians in Colossae to know your, your identity is completely secure. Your baptism is all the circumcision that you need. You don't need any more. Your baptism is enough. Your baptism was when you renounced your old self. That was when you committed yourself to Christ. That was when you began this new life. That was when you entered this community. Your identity is completely secure. Do you know that? Whether you became a Christian earlier in life, or later in life, your identity is secure in Christ. Whether you've been at this church for 15 years or only started coming last week, your identity is secure in Christ. 
You belong here. You belong in Christ because you've been baptized into Christ. You don't need, there's nothing else you need. Your identity is completely secure. So Paul's unpacking his treasure chest. You have complete access to God. You, your identity is completely secure. And there's still more. And these, these last verses of this passage are just glorious. You have complete forgiveness. You have complete forgiveness. Verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to know this morning, in Christ, you have complete forgiveness. Maybe there's stuff in your past it still causes you shame today. Or maybe there's stuff in your present. Maybe you come to church this morning having just had a rubbish week. Maybe even a rubbish morning. Wondering whether, whether I can be forgiven. Every bit of this passage is phrased to stress how complete your forgiveness is. Notice that God made you alive and forgave you when you were dead. What did I do to make God forgive me? Nothing. I was dead. What can I do to stop God forgiving me? Nothing. You have complete forgiveness. Notice that Jesus has done something objectively to secure your forgiveness. It is done and it cannot be undone. In the heavenly courtroom, there was once a charge of legal indebtedness. It read something like this. Sam Stevenson, guilty of rejecting God, of ignoring his maker, of treating those around him as though they existed to serve him, sentence death. And my accuser Satan stood and gloated as he waved the charge around. Look, look, look what Sam has done. Look what he deserves. You must punish. You must punish God. All of us were once in the dock. But look at what Jesus has done. Look at what he's done objectively. He has cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. How has he nailed it to the cross? Well, he's absorbed it in himself, and he has been nailed to the cross. And my condemnation has been nailed there with him. My charge of legal indebtedness cancelled. Torn in two. Never to be seen again. My forgiveness is completely secure. Your forgiveness, Christian brother or sister, is completely secure. We have complete forgiveness. And our accuser, Satan, is a laughingstock. Jesus has disarmed him. He only had one weapon. Jesus has disarmed him. He's made a public spectacle of him. He stands to point the finger and and wave around the charge, but he can't find it. Sam Stevenson's deserving of death. No, he's not. Jesus, the judge, bearing the scars of his death in my place, just laughs. Where are the charges? (laughs) 
I've paid for them. He can accuse us all he likes. Nothing's going to stick. God has already punished your sin in Jesus, and he's not going to punish it again. Satan loves making us feel that God is against us. We've gone too far this time. God's bound to condemn you. No. (laughs) He's an accuser with no charges to bring. They've been taken away. They've been nailed to the cross. They've been absorbed by Jesus. Friends, know this morning, you, you have complete forgiveness. You really are full in Christ. Look at the riches. Look at the spiritual treasures that we have if we are in Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, live your life in him. Walk about in him. Go about your week in him. Surrender to him. Satisfied in him. Ignoring empty ideas. Because in Jesus Christ, we have the very best that life has to offer. We have fullness. We have fullness in him, complete access to God, our identity completely secure, our forgiveness completely certain, and then the, the, the treasure box still has depth left to plumb. What would it look like? What would it look like for us to live this week out of that sense of fullness, not chasing what we lack, but enjoying what we have? And living for the one who has given it to us. Knowing that our deepest needs, our deepest longings have been met. We already have them in Jesus. What would that look like? Let me pray now for for a deeper awareness of all we have in Jesus as we head out into our week. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, what we have in you is so much better than we often think. In you, we have been brought to fullness. We have complete access to God. We know the God who made us. Our identity in him is secure. Our forgiveness is complete. Lord, what riches, what treasure we have in you. And so, Lord, we ask for your help to continue to live our lives in you, rooted in you, built up in you, strengthened in this faith as we've been taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Father, would that be us? Would that be us this week? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.